Welcome to the Berkhamsted Spotlight, Berkhamsted School's podcast channel. Join our weekly guests from inside the classroom to behind the scenes of our day-to-day activities through to life beyond Berkhamsted School. Find out what it's really like to be part of our remarkable community. Remarkable community indeed. In this episode of the Berkhamsted Spotlight, we're talking to the school chaplain, Reverend Jane Markby, and assistant chaplain, Chloe Hopkins. So today we're going to discover how the school's Christian ethos works alongside the many faiths and diverse cultures in the school, how the chaplaincy supports students, and why it's important to encourage reflection. But we also get to discuss the bigger picture about the impact of faith and spirituality in the Berkhamsted community. That's all coming up in this episode, so come with me now as we speak to Jane and Chloe. So Jane and Chloe, thank you for being here today. How are you both? Well, thank you. Yes, a bit hectic towards the end of term and lots of services to think about and to sort out, but generally we're well, thank you. Yeah, we're very well. We had a bit of a calamity this morning, the coffee machine. Oh gosh. So we'll be back once we've had some caffeine in us. (laughs) What was up with the coffee machine, Chloe? Oh, who knows? I think the machine hadn't been, like the coffee beans hadn't been ground or something. So, yeah, when you're expecting caffeine. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely right. I mean, I'm, I'm a big caffeine lover. And yeah, you're, you're right. If you're if you're expecting the caffeine, frankly, even if you're not expecting it, your body's still expecting it, isn't it? So maybe that's one of those things we should all be working on a little bit. But I'd love to know, as we get into this podcast episode, could you just tell us, each of you, what it is that you both do within the school, please? So I'm the chaplain of Berkhamsted Schools Group, which uh, takes in lots of different schools, as, as you'll know. And I've been here for just over 11 years. Wow. Well done, you. Yeah. What is it that you do? Well, I do all sorts of things. <laughs> I, I, I manage you and I look after the way in which we present chapels and in the prep and the pre-prep, sometimes that's an assembly, and we teach RE to the year six and sort out charity events and do a huge range of different things. I think variety is how I would most mm. sum up mm. the chaplaincy role here at Berkhamsted. Because you teach some biology as well, don't you? I do teach biology as well, yes, <laughs> I do. <laughs> I teach A-level biology, GCSE biology, which is great. Thank you, Jane. And Chloe, how about you? I am very new. In comparison, I only started at the beginning of term back in September. So I'm the assistant chaplain here at Berkhamstead. So Jane and I spend a lot of time together, again, doing the chapels, etc. Yeah, what else do I do more specifically? I spend more time within the sixth form, actually. So I'm part of a house in the sixth form and spend quite a lot of time in the sixth form centre. I just love to chat, so I feel like I spend so much time chatting with people and drinking coffee when the machine is working. (laughs) Excellent. Thanks for that, Chloe. And thank you, Jane. Jane, could you just tell us a little bit about your own education and at what stage in your upbringing or in your early career you decided that you wanted to be a school chaplain? Good question. So I grew up in a vicarage, so church was always very much part of my life and I couldn't quite imagine it without that. So even though at university there were lots of questions and doubts and discussions and arguments as ever over faith issues, I think that I always knew here we're in a school, so the bell went. And I I guess I always knew that I would work in a church setting and went into teaching because 
I felt I needed more experience and I loved biology and I loved being with people. So then taught for, for 10 years in a grammar school in North London. And then you sort of get older and you think, oh my goodness, I, I never meant to do this for this long. And in some ways, I think I wanted more permission to talk about Jesus would be the reason why I thought that going to theological college was a good idea. And I don't know whether if I'd been Jewish, I'd have been a rabbi as well, or whether that's just within me that spirituality and collectivity is really important. And then I worked in Tottenham, North Tottenham, in Edmonton, uh, in an area of of, of real deprivation, but some really amazing, amazing people. Mm. And that was very significant in my existence. And then I have children of my own. So church work and small children, you seem to be out at the time that they're in and not at school. So I was very fortunate to go and start working as a a school chaplain. And actually, then I really felt that all the things that I love about being outdoors and about being with young people and about being able to explore issues of spirituality and faith, and I could do all of them at once. I just feel that this really is what I'm called to do. Perfect. And what subject were were you teaching when you were teaching in North London? So uh, science and biology. Yes. And I was I was ahead of year and lots of pastoral stuff. And gosh, so science and biology and being head of year and then going from that to theological college. That must have been very different. Oh, it was. Honestly, I'd never written a proper essay before. It was such shock uh, when the idea that you state your case and for and against and it, it, science. I hadn't really. I, I'm sure there are scientists who can write some really, really good essays, but I wasn't one of them. So it was a steep learning curve on that front. But actually, there was another. There was a phys- physicist who was also on the the course, and we ended up with kind of merits. So, so more than passes, but not quite distinctions. So this is what kind of a competent scientist can achieve with theology. Mm. <laughs> Excellent, Chloe. Tell me a little bit about your background. What's your story? So I was born and brought up in Wolverhampton. Went to school there. Uh, my family are Christians. My parents actually um, were brought up in the Brethren, so a bit of an interesting dynamic around religion as they were growing up in a very, what is the word, uh, legalistic kind of upbringing. But I was very blessed with the upbringing that I had. Went to university to study theology. That's what I did my first degree in, up in Edinburgh in sunny Scotland. I think I just, I really love Jesus and I really love the Bible And I think that it's very important for people of faith to have some sort of um, grounding or understanding. I never wanted to be someone who had naive faith, but wanted to have some academics to ground that. So that's why I went on to study theology, worked for a couple of years for a children and youth charity, and then have now found myself in beautiful Berkhamstead. And do you find that it's always been easy to talk about your faith, or is it easier now that this is what your work is, given that there's kind of an expectation that you'll talk about your faith? I think definitely easier now, not necessarily so much because of work, but more when I was younger, when I was at school, trying to fit that area of my life into my life Mm. felt a little bit more difficult. I think when you're a little bit younger, you're trying to fit in, aren't you? And you're trying to find your way and 
maybe I was a little bit more insecure about my faith because it made me different or a target or whatever you want to call it. So I think more as I've grown as a as a person and grown in confidence and owned my faith as something that's my own rather than inherited from my family and a choice that I very much make, I've I find it a lot easier to talk about. And it's obviously so much easier when it is your job as well. Now, Jane, Berkhamstead is a school with a Christian ethos, but the school equally welcomes all faiths. What's that all about? How does that actually work? And how does that work hand in hand with Christianity in the school? So church schools are, are, are a thing. And the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, I, I had a very good talk from him. He was talking about the idea of a school with a Christian ethos offering hospitality. And so being very confident and clear about the beliefs that are held and upheld by by the Christian faith, but mostly being very open and welcoming. And if you welcome some into your home, you don't have to agree with them, but you do have to listen to them. And it would be helpful if they listened to you. So that kind of idea of holding things well. So I, I hope that I hold my faith humbly and joyfully and openly so that I can, I can be confident in what I'm saying, but I'm not, I'm not demanding that everybody thinks that I think I have all the answers. So very much, I would say that chapel and our chapel talks are about raising questions rather than answering them, mm. giving people options of kind of, well, have you thought about this? Or if you looked at this from this way? Or what difference does it make that these two ideas come together? So, th- yeah, that's what I would, that's what I'd say is at the, is at the heart of what I hold as dear in my job. And Chloe, how do you find that plays out when you're talking to some of the students at school, in particular the sixth formers that you mentioned you enjoy talking to? Yeah, I think that actually it's really important the language that we use. So I think we try to use as much as we can very accessible language. So saying Christians believe or referring to Jane and myself, we believe rather than speaking on behalf of everybody that we have in front of us and try to make lessons applicable to to anyone. So we've been looking a little a little bit at the Lord's Prayer, but actually almost looking at it as a piece of poetry or literature or just something that stood the test of time that can teach us something about prayer but also using the word meditation or reflection and things like that I think it's very important to use that accessible language but also as Jane said allowing space for people to raise questions people are always so surprised that Jane is a biology teacher as well as a chaplain but having that space to allow students to ask those questions I think is really important. There you are, Jane. You've got a real life outside of church as well, which is great for people to know about, isn't it? Chloe, you mentioned about uh, meditation and reflection. I'd love it if one of you could explain how the chaplaincy supports students and provides that time for reflection. Just to sort of carry on with the the theme of of being a church, sort of Christian ethos. We do have quite a few Muslims in school and have a a Muslim prayer space available to them on, on both sites. And interestingly, I almost see more of the Muslim students because they walk in and out of chapel, but aware that reflection and meditation and prayer are different for different people. So we do have silence in chapel. I, I'm increasingly aware of the importance of of silence and knowing how to use that. The idea of a, a strong silence is, is something that someone will choose to take on rather than sort of imposing a silence on young people, which I'd then describe as a weak silence that I'm kind of so 
if in any way we can learn how to embrace silence and use it, it's something that I feel is, is, is part of our role. And then we would put particular things together. So we have a prayer space activities. Up, We've got a very modern chapel up here at the girls' school and really lends itself to interactive, reflective, making butterflies of freedom or colouring in bits and pieces and thinking about different parts of the world and putting post-it notes up. So lots of interactive type things might mm. help. What else, Chloe? What do you think we do that encourages reflection? Well, we have a couple of different groups of Christians that gather. So myself and Jane gather with some um, girls from the secondary school once a week to have some time, again, of reflection, but also conversation, quite led by the girls, actually, to what they feel like they need in terms of support. And the boys have something similar with another member of our chaplaincy team called Tom. So I think those are two ways as well that we facilitate that kind of reflection. And it is quite interesting because I think there is a sense that spirituality is an important thing in people's lives. But we have become not very good at the kind of language that allows us to talk about that or to experience it or to think that it's relevant. And even though mindfulness is now every third sentence let's do this mindfully and I still don't know that we've really learnt how to be contemplative how to bring things in and out of attention so shining a torch in various places we have this whole kind of metaphor going on at the moment of microscopes and telescopes so whether you're looking inward with a microscope and looking at the detail and turning that over quite like that as a biology teacher and then If you look inwards too much, do you just get too self-absorbed? So we need to look out. And looking out means that looking at the world or just looking into space or looking beyond ourselves. So trying to oscillate between these these two ideas of of microscope and telescope. Mm. Tell us a little bit more about the language that you're talking about, the language which I, I I think you suggested can be not very helpful at times. What examples are you thinking of there? I think if you said that what we were doing is about spirituality. I don't know that people really understand that word Mm -hmm. and know how to define it. I don't think that I even really know how to define it. And therefore, youngsters just gloss over it and wouldn't even know where to start looking Mm. for a spirituality in their existence. Mm. Mm. So I've suddenly taken to talk about listening a lot And actually, that is a word that they understand and they can understand listening to themselves and they can understand listening to others and they can probably understand listening to nothing or to the world or to God. So it's a a case of working out what it is that connects with young people and can move them just a little bit further. So I do a lot of restorative approaches stuff and looking at... Uh, how we reflect on ways in which we've hurt each other if there's been a falling out. And one of the things in restorative approaches is a very set vocabulary where you would never ask someone why they did something, but you would ask them what they were thinking. What were you thinking at the time? And when I first came across this kind of principle, my, my son, who's now 23, was 
10 or 11 and doing a homework and say, I don't know how this person feels. I've got to write how this person feels. And so I said to him, what do you think he was thinking? And he knew exactly what he was thinking. And to me, that was a complete revelation that actually just changing the question very slightly can open up a whole new world or way of thinking. That's, I guess that's what we're trying to do. Gosh, that's incredible. No, that really is incredible. Tell me why you think this is an important subject to be discussed within the Berkhamsted community. Spirituality. <laughs> because. Well, spirituality and, and Christianity as a whole. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, well, both religion, faith, centuries, centuries and centuries and centuries of human existence have involved faith and the world is full of people of faith and to not appreciate that it impacts your life is perhaps to is perhaps perhaps to have your eyes shut to your whole host of understanding about other people. We were talking on the way up the road about what we find most important. I think really, really good conversations are one of the most important things in life. Mm-hmm. And understanding another person is absolutely what I enjoy doing absolutely the most. And we were agreeing about this. So I think not to engage with the world of faith and religion. Religion and faith might be might be two different things and maybe religions have done terrible things over the years and I think acknowledging that and being truthful about it and recognising when we've got the, the church gets things terribly wrong but fighting through that to what is good and wholesome and life-giving life in all its fullness is a, is, is a verse from the Bible and I don't think that fullness of life can really be gained unless you've given faith, religion, spirituality, a really good thinking about. Gosh, that sounds fantastic. That really does. Jane and Chloe, I've got a couple of questions just for each of you, actually less to do with Berkhamsted and more to do with yourselves. And in particular, the first question, when you open a Bible, which book in the Bible would you find to be one of the most challenging for each of you to read and to study and to learn from? That's such a good question, isn't it? <laughs> Do you want to go first or should no, I? No, you go first. Oh gosh, that I mean... doesn't give me as long to think. Most challenging to study? I think actually I would say potentially the book of Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. It talks kind of about the end times and it's so full of imagery and metaphor that actually studying it, it's not just the words on the page there's so much behind everything that's said Um, and it's so beautiful and it's so rich but it is so meaty like it's definitely not a book that you could just read and just read the words and it's also not a book that you could just read and shut off to either you'd have to read it and really grapple with the text and and study it so that's definitely I would say one of the harder ones but one I want to get to know a lot better so interestingly I was going to say John's gospel because similarly, lots and lots and lots of layers. But I'm going to say Luke's gospel because one of the things that is true about Luke's gospel, apparently, is that one in seven verses is about money and about the way in which we deal with the poor. And I, I definitely think that is the most challenging thing that I feel about Christianity is that it's all about justice for everybody. And that's really hard. And that's really hard to 
know that the way in which you are behaving, the things that you are talking about is truly just. And the way in which I spend my money, I talk, I say, you know, we have all these choices about how we spend our money and the things we give our attention to and the and all these challenging verses about how we deal with those in the world who don't have enough. Well, you can only have one master, of course. It's interesting that you that you mentioned that from an application point of view, as opposed to a, a learning and studying point of view, because clearly that's something that you do understand, but it's struggling to see how that's applied to each of our lives and it's a challenge to each of us I guess is that what you're saying yeah I guess so that's that's what I meant by challenging you know if if I'm going to speak about something if I'm going to then actually it's got to affect and change me so yeah personally challenging but hopefully challenging to everybody and then on the flip side of all of that which book in the bible would you say is is almost like a pair of slippers to put on or something that's much easier to understand or something that you know inside out I'll go first with go again. <laughs> I love the book of Genesis. I really love Genesis. I did part of my dissertation on Genesis and it's got some of those very familiar stories, but I just love it so much. I think every single time you open the book of Genesis, something new comes out. You know, the creation story. How many times have I read that? Have we heard that? But each time something new and beautiful comes out of it. So I just think Genesis is fantastic. It's my go-to. <laughs> I probably would say Isaiah in terms of probably don't read the whole of it it's very long but there are bits that I would go back to and read as being inspiring and inspiring and soothing and poetic gosh I I thought one of you would say something like Romans or Ephesians or something like that but uh, but clearly not I mean Genesis and Isaiah that's unexpected but but great answers so thank you for that I've got another fun question now a question which I asked a vicar one time, and he wrestled with this for a week before coming back to me with an answer. I'm going to give you just a couple of seconds to have a think about it, which is very <laughs> unfair, but nevertheless. If you had a time machine and you could go back to Israel 2,000 years ago, would you? I wouldn't. Would you? I would. You would? Yeah. Jane, tell me why you would, I would. first of all. I, I would because I want, to, I want to meet the people. I have... I, I spend time thinking about those stories and imagining the sand and the smell and the, the sounds of, of Galilee and the, the fishing boat and, and Jesus there and standing. And, and I would just love to actually step into it and, and know these, these people as being real, proper people, not just stories. That's why I'd, yeah, that's awesome. what I do. That's a good answer. Chloe, everyone's got a different opinion on this. Tell me what your thoughts are. Yeah, I was quite absolute with mine, wasn't I? Absolutely, I would not go back. I think that maybe I would take a more, I don't know what approach you'd call it, but I think, you know, there's a reason that God put me here at this time. And yeah, I think that's that's why. I think it's it's great to think back, but also I just can't imagine life back then for a woman. I wouldn't want to do it either. I'd love to meet Jesus, but hopefully I will meet him one day. Um, but, you know, not in in Galilee with oppression. Oh, did I have to stay there the whole time? I didn't realise I wasn't allowed back. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's totally fine, Jane. Okay, and then a couple of last questions that we always ask to every guest who comes on. First of all, tell us, what have you changed your mind about over the last couple of years? That I can use silence well. I'm a natural extrovert, so I'd always thought that I had to talk to people and I had to be surrounded by people in order to actually gain energy and and, and survive. Mm. But actually, you know, silence is a good thing. Awesome. Chloe, how about you? 
I think for me, I've been on a big journey of learning that there's a huge strength in weakness and in vulnerability and in admitting limits. I think that's incredibly liberating and incredibly strong. So learning to do that, I think, has been revolutionary. And it's definitely changed my mind about about what strength looks like. And I think it's humility and admitting one's limits. What kind of limits are you talking about there, Chloe? I think a whole plethora of limits, really, in terms of capacity, things that you can say yes or no to, what takes your energy, what drains your energy, what you can do well and what you can't do well. Um, Actually, I think saying no is really important, either because you can't do something well and, and know that there's no point giving or not there's no point, but knowing that it's it's not something that you can deliver well or also saying no because you need to guard your emotions, guard your physical strength, guard your your own emotional capacity. And for each of you, what has been your remarkable moments at Berkhamsted? You've got a lot more I've to got choose so, from. Oh no, there's so, so much to choose from. I was trying to think about this and then we had a year 10 pilgrimage up at Dunstable Downs maybe three or four years ago now, maybe even longer, because time always passes quicker than you think, particularly when COVID's been in the way. And it had been just quite a difficult time, but this lovely weather, and we walked to the Tree Cathedral, and they hung out there, and they felt that they weren't judged in any way. Awesome. And Chloe, how about you? Last week, I was doing the chapels, and I was talking about the Lord's Prayer and how... The Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. And I linked it in with banana bread. So I spent an evening baking a plethora of banana breads and took them all into the sixth form area the next day. And just having that space again with the sixth formers and being able to have some really in-depth conversations, some banter, some jokes, just getting to know a few sixth formers a little bit better just around banana breads was just so much fun. I love that. It's a simple moment, but remarkable nonetheless. I love the way that banana bread is featuring highly in the chaplaincy team. I'm going to have to pay a visit and try some of this for sure. Jane and Chloe, thank you for being here today. If anybody wants to find out more about this, uh, how can they connect with you? How can they connect with the school? So there's, with the school, there's inquiries at berkhamstead.com uh, and then just to, to, to forward some things to, to the chaplaincy team excellent well thank you both for your time thanks for giving this giving this up Uh, i do know that you need to dash off in the next four minutes so we'll bring this to a close but thank you both very much for being here all right thank Thank you very much thank you so that was school chaplain reverend jane markby and assistant chaplain chloe hopkins thank you both of you for coming on to this episode of the berkhamstead spotlight it was great to hear from you and the support that you offer to the school Now, our next episode is coming out soon, but in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.